Welcome to the Football Goonies Dynasty Podcast. to the podcast. I'm your host, Jason Seplick. As always, you can find me on Twitter at the FF Goonie. This is episode three, The Calm Before the Storm. On today's episode, we're going to go through today's storylines, news happening around the league and how it affects fantasy football. And then we're going to put Jordan Howard under our first fantasy spotlight. So let's get into news and notes. So we're going to start with our first transmission, which comes in for quarterbacks. Uh, First up, the big one is Andrew Luck is expected to play the first quarter of tonight's preseason game. Now, I'm personally excited on this one, uh, having traded for T.Y. Hilton in the other Atlanta Foot Clan League. Uh, This was huge for me because I kind of put the bet on to Luck that uh, he is going to bounce back this year. So uh, the fact that he's going to put in a full quarter of work, just hoping to see uh, him make some good throws, have good velocity, and then uh, honestly take a couple of hits, uh, make sure he's going to hold up. On to a negative note, the news around Carson Wentz is that he's going to be held out of the whole preseason now. So Brian is in complete tilt. Hello darkness, my old friend I've come to talk with you again Because a vision softly creeping So, rumor on the street is that he's willing to give up his entire 2019 draft stock in order to pick up another quarterback. Uh, Although I don't think he's going to give up Wentz on the cheap because of this news. Uh, it is concerning, considering uh, we were already kind of expecting a regression in his efficiency. So if he comes back less than 100% uh, with his legs, that's going to be a little bit of an issue, affect his throwing a little bit, affect his yardage on the ground. So not a great outlook for Carson Wentz. And then speaking of weak knees, uh, Deshaun Watson is making great progress. Uh, they're saying that he is going to get some preseason action. This year, Um, I don't think I'm that concerned about Deshaun Watson's knee. Uh, A lot of people are kind of, oh, coming off the ACL, this, that. Well, I mean, the fact is, the last time he tore an ACL, he came back with a force in college football. So I don't see how that's going to be any different. Instead, I think it's kind of an advantage. He knows how to come back from injury. 
Um, he is going to have to uh, fight the same kind of battle as far as uh, his efficiency. So we'll see if he can continue that. I'm sure there will be some regression, but the fact is I think his legs are doing just fine, and he'll be able to get me plenty of points on the uh, ground. And then uh, finally, uh, we're going to talk about old Wacko Flacco Unibrow himself. Uh, Joe Flacco, he... Uh, he supposedly has a fire lit under his uh, his butt the same way Alex Smith did last year, uh, and he's looking fantastic in uh, in training camp so far. Uh, we'll see if that actually works out for him. I don't think he's quite the level of someone like Alex Smith, who was always good, just needed someone to kind of turn it on and let it loose a little bit, whereas Flacco's just been bad, and I don't think you can fix bad, so... I, I don't think drafting a rookie and potentially losing his job next year is going to change the fact that he's not a good quarterback. Um, that being said, Lamar Jackson looked like horrid crap for outside that touchdown drive in the Hall of Fame game, but first game action, not a big deal. I'm not really worried about it. So up next, we have running backs. Uh, I think the first bit of news uh, comes out of Los Angeles Chargers camp is the one I'm actually the most interested in seeing how it shakes out. I don't think it's getting a lot of attention otherwise, but uh, you have Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler getting conflicting reports as far as how they want to use them. Um, Coaches have said that they envision Eckler in that Danny Woodhead role, that they want to increase his usage, and he is the clear-cut second back. Uh, that being said, Anthony Lynn has been quoted as saying he didn't realize how good a catcher Melvin Gordon is, and they need to get him more work. So uh, I'm going to choose to actually lean on the side of Lynn on this one and the fact that you don't take your best player off the uh, field as much as possible. So I don't really take read too much into this Austin Eckler news and uh, hurting Melvin Gordon's stock. But speaking of someone that did have their stock uh, get ruined through the draft was LeGarrette Blunt out of Detroit. Uh, news recently said that uh, they envision him still holding on to the goal line work, which is uh, going to hurt. Carry on, Carry on Johnson, as far as uh, this year goes, uh, I think that... Uh, I'm not putting too much into people saying, well, Matt Patricia's from New England, so they're going to employ that real RBBC. Um, the running back by committee thing, I, it's not up to him so much as I think Jim Bob Cooter is going to define what that offense does a little more. But uh, I think the fact is that if they're willing to give Blunt the goal line work, Blunt is a fantastic goal line back, and he could still do that. So I don't see any reason that if they're going to leave that door open that he wouldn't take that opportunity and run with it this year. And another team that is seemingly holding back a uh, talented rookie uh, owned by our own Axel, uh, Devontae Booker is listed with the ones still. Now, I don't know what the Denver Broncos are really thinking uh but Devontae Booker is not good. If he was, then they wouldn't have drafted Royce Freeman. So I don't know what they're doing other than putting Royce Freeman behind the eight ball this year because the less work he gets with the first team and the less opportunities he gets in camp and in game situations against the best, 
the further uh, he is from being quality start this year. So all I got to say is... Finish him! Cut him down to the second team already. Um, I don't really see a world where Devonta Booker is going to be relevant this season so i think all this does is kind of hurts the season totals for royce freeman so sorry about it axel now staying in the afc west uh speaking of team depth charts doug martin is now listed number two on the depth chart so marshawn lynch owners it's time to panic That's right, I'm hitting the panic alarm because I don't see a world where John Gruden does not make this any worse for you. Being an ex-Buccaneers coach, John Gruden's been quoted, I don't know the exact quote, but he really wanted to coach Doug Martin. And although he is father time himself, I honestly think he's going to give Doug Martin a little more work than he deserves. And this is actually the first time Doug Martin's ran behind a quality offensive line. So he might actually show some of that uh, running chops that got him to 1,400-yard seasons. And this might cannibalize the Marshawn uh, game time, or play time and basically turn it into a two-headed monster, none of which you really want more than a low-end running back three. And speaking of awful offensive lines in Tampa Bay, uh, Ronald Jones is not catching the ball well in camp. I am shocked! Shocked! Well, not that shocked. This guy has worse hands than Jordan Howard, and I don't know what people were thinking when they thought, oh, well, he could do passing catch work. This is a backfield I am avoiding 100% any league, unless the value is good, of course. Um, he's not that great a runner unless you put him in a lot of space. He can't catch the ball, so you're not going to get him in a lot of space, and that offensive line is atrocious. The only thing he has going for him is opportunity. So if you can, sell, but if you listen to this show, don't buy. And in a final note at Jets camp, Elijah McGuire is going to miss a little bit of time with a broken fibula, I believe. So this opens the door for Bilal Powell. Uh, That being said, the Jets have Tyrod Taylor levels of hatred for Bilal Powell, even though he's been nothing but the best running back for that team the last couple of years. So chances are this is actually going to help Crowell a bit until McGuire gets back, and they are basically going to treat Below Powell like he has leprosy until they are forced to put him in as much as they possibly can. Uh, on a side note, this does open up for Thomas Rawls to make the team, which I was not too keen on before, but with Below Powell probably going to start the year on the pup, um, yeah, I think he has a legitimate shot of making it. I know they did pick up a couple other running backs. So we'll see how that shakes out, but this is pretty much turned into the Crowell-only show until they have to go to Powell. Moving on to wide receivers, we're going to hit the headliner. Another Gordon, this one Josh Gordon. Uh, unfortunately, not the greatest headline. Uh, he has yet to report to training camp. Uh, word on the street is that he is just avoiding the cameras for hard knocks, but this could loom into the regular season and starting to get scary. 
I personally am super happy that I avoided Josh Gordon, even though I went with a risky guy with Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, apparently, it seems like I might have paid off with that one. Uh, even if he does end up playing this season, which he probably will, I think he will, uh, this kind of sheds a light on. I don't think you're going to get many years of production out of him without more headaches and issues. So that's a little scary. Uh, as far as shaking out the depth chart, um, it was good news for Corey Coleman. Oh, wait. No, Corey Coleman was traded to the Bills for peanuts. Well, a single peanut. Uh, reportedly, he, he was kind of a bad influence uh, going to the strip club, spending way too much money, getting hookers. And they didn't want him to be around uh, Josh Gordon and Antonio Callaway. So, good news for Callaway. Wait, what's that? Oh, no. Antonio Callaway was busted with weed, and apparently Chris said some bullets in his vehicle. Uh, he's claiming it's his brother's. He had no idea it was in there, but the fact that you were in the substance abuse uh, program already uh, coming, into, coming through the draft... Uh, this does not look good for him, and the once amazing receiving core in Browntown kind of looks just like that, like a bunch of doo-doo. So uh, Jarvis Landry is going to get a huge tick. He might actually turn into a good PPR guy, uh, at least this year, but him being the only stable piece that I trust out of the receivers, uh, I think this works for him. Uh, I think this is a bump up for Njoku. I think there's a bump up for Duke Johnson, who started to seem like he was going to dwindle in his targets a bit. And uh, anything they get out of uh, Gordon or Callaway, I guess, be icing, but I just don't see them being as effective as they were being drafted. Um, not so much Callaway. He was kind of treated as like a risky rookie, and that's not a big deal. But Josh Gordon is going super early. Uh, basically drafting his his uh, upside. And, I mean, we haven't seen that kind of production mixed with the fact that he is super risky, especially in a dynasty format. Uh, super glad I don't have him. Uh, but pretty much it's just going to be sit there and ride it out because no one's going to touch that with a 10-foot pole right now. So moving over a little east, uh, still in the AFC, Eric Decker signs with the New England Patriots. Uh, I think Decker might have one or two useful games. Other than that, if he does make the team and he is listed above Kenny Britt, I think as soon as Edelman is back, it's kind of done done with him. So I'm not really uh, putting any stock into this at all. He is, what, 31 now. Not horribly old, but... Um, yeah, I just I don't really see any uh, any reason to get all worked up over it. Uh, oh, someone that is getting worked up though, Mike Williams uh, is getting worked in the red zone quite a bit. They're saying he's going to have a monster year in the red zone. So uh, he doesn't seem to be that receiver that's going to uh, get too many yards. I think the second receiver will still be Tyrell Williams on that. Um, but if he starts pulling down the touchdowns the way they're talking it, he could be viewed as a Antonio Gates level receiver where he might get you like, uh, four, 500 yards, but he's going to get you eight touchdowns maybe. So that'll make him a good, uh, bi-week filler. Uh, he is first round talent though. I think he could develop into a lot more. I just don't think this is the year for him to actually do that. I think he's going to get uh, 
kind of cast in a bit role and until they move on from Tyrell Williams and really let him open up, I think that's kind of what he is. Um, we'll see. I think the uh, person that benefits the most from it is Phillip Rivers because if he has that sure-handed uh, red zone target, then his touchdown totals will not take a significant drop. And I think that's more good news for him than Williams. Williams kind of a hold pattern for now. Uh, I think he could develop into something great still, but like I said, it's going to be past this year. So sticking in the AFC West, we have uh, Martavis Bryant is struggling with Gruden's playbook. So John Gruden notoriously had actually a pretty difficult playbook to deal with for receivers, and uh, basically they're saying he's got all the talent in the world. He might be the most talented receiver on that team. But he just can't wrap his head around it. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he starts being a problem. They could have wasted that third round pick and he may get cut. Um, I don't think that's the most likely scenario. But I'm just saying I would not be surprised on it. I think this does open Jordy Nelson to a, a more decently mediocre year than I was giving him credit for. Um, I just think it's going to be one of those things that, other than Amari Cooper, I don't want any bit of this uh, receiving core. And uh, Jordan Nelson, he might actually turn into someone that I wouldn't mind having for redraft leagues. And if I was really making a push, if I needed that wide receiver three on a couple of weeks this year in the Dynasty League. Uh, let's head over to New Orleans next and talk about Cameron Meredith. Now, this is a two-pronged one. They're saying, one, Cameron Meredith is healthy. Uh, he's looking good. And then on top of that, uh, they just released Brandon Coleman, a perennial disappointment of a slot receiver. Um, I think that this is going to be an interesting year for the Saints receivers. Uh, I think people are starting to try to position Cam Meredith into that slot role. Um, but the fact is, Michael Thomas is an amazing slot receiver. And I think Sean Payton is one of the better offensive coach minds, even if he goes a little off the rails sometimes. And I think that pretty much everyone in that offense is going to weave in and out of each position as far as the receiving core. So I actually see him mixing it up. Uh, probably doing some work out of the slot, but a lot of work on the outside. Um, I think it's good news for him, though. The Saints have shown that they can sustain a decent second wide receiver, and I think he's making a real push for it to be him instead of Ted Ginn. So uh, goodbye on the dynasty front, and I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna work well. I got him in the wide receiver kind of. 45 to 50 range right now uh not the greatest sounding but considering he had an entire lost year to injury and was on the bears uh moving over for his first year i think that's actually uh pretty decent and i think he's one of those good spot start kind of players that could develop into something a little more next year so speaking of the aforementioned Corey coleman uh let's talk bill's receivers now uh, I think this is still a hot, garbagey mess. I think that Corey Coleman going over to the Bills actually muddles the water for Kelvin Benjamin, where he was just going to be a a volume guy, uh, being really the only wide receiver option in town. I think Coleman's a much better talent. I think he's a better football player. He just uh, 
He's had a little bit of focus issues and broken hand issues, but at least he doesn't have the thunder thighs, so I think he could run circles around Kelvin Benjamin, and I think uh, he's going to take a little time to develop, especially with that crummy quarterback crew over there, but that being said, I think what he's really going to do is just eat into Kelvin's production this year and then pretty much make him useless in Bill's country. Uh, Speaking of useless, Des Bryant is still not signed with a team. I don't know what this guy's thinking. He, I think he thinks he's the greatest thing ever still, and he deserves so much more than he does. Uh, Probably should have just taken that deal the Ravens offered him, and uh, I really honestly don't see him playing this year. If he does, it's going to be like some mid-season signing after some major injury and he's going to be completely useless so um i think he still has some dynasty value in the sense of i think he kind of gets his head out of his butt and he finally signs with the team next year so hold for now if you have the room if not if you do have the room and he ends up on the waiver wires probably okay stash for just to see how it pans out next year and speaking of a team that could have used Des Bryant prior to picking up Jimmy Graham, I think, um, we'll talk about the Packers to finish out the wide receivers. Uh, so reports out of camp are that the number three spot is still wide open, that between Geronimo Allison, Jamal Moore, Equinemius Sape Brown, no one has impressed. Everyone's been kind of, eh. And on top of that, Mr. Aaron Rodgers seems to be talking up uh, a receiver by the name of Kumero. This is a non-news story. Uh, Kumero is a receiver undrafted that is practice squad fodder. Uh, We'll give the Packers the credit that they happen to always manage to hype up one really good white receiver. That never pans out to anything. Uh, Talking to you, Jeff Janice. I think it's still going to come down to Geronimo Allison versus Jamon Moore. And from what I've understood, the rookies generally are behind the times in the Packers offense. um, As far as what Rodgers wants, and that's why it ends up panning out someone else. But I honestly don't think Geronimo Allison is much of anything. And I honestly think that Jamal Moore is going to win out the number three spot. Whether he turns that into anything worthwhile is yet to be seen, but that's who I'm going to put my money on. And then to finish out the news and notes, we'll just talk a couple of DSTs. Uh, the big two are Aaron Donald is holding out and could possibly hold out end of the season for the Rams, which uh, basically hurts them a little bit. They've added so many pieces that they're probably going to be about what they were last year, but he is such a disruptive player that I think you'll be able to run the ball a little better on them and passing will struggle a little more with uh, the pieces added. So I don't think this changes much to the Rams, and I think eventually they do work something out. I don't think they're going to do him dirty and uh, let him get hosed when they've been paying out everyone else. So uh, for now, the Rams are a little weaker of a defense, but sit tight, I think you're going to be fine. But someone that is not going to be fine is Axel because Chargers are dropping left and right. Their secondary is getting weaker. 
Bosa's getting banged up. Uh, This team seems to have so many expectations every year, and then they find a way to just destroy it between Hunter Henry and now all these defensive pieces. Like, I will never pick them to win a Super Bowl because every time they look like they should be the favorites, they are going to just find a way to disappoint. So before we jump into today's spotlight, I'd like to take a second to thank you all for downloading and listening to the podcast. If you could leave us some reviews, five-star preferably, that'd be fantastic. Uh, Also, any notes that you would want me to improve on the show, go ahead and DM me and let me know on the group meet chat. And for all you that are complaining about my takes and being super negative, I got one thing for you. I will look for you, I will find you, and I will kill you. But your comments are always welcome. So with that said, let's go into our fantasy spotlight on Jordan Howard. So we have Jordan Howard today. Uh, Jordan Howard is running back for the Chicago Bears. Uh, comes in at six foot, two hundred thirty pounds. Uh, Drafted out of Indiana. Uh, he is twenty three, almost twenty four years old as of right now, I believe. Uh, player profiler closest comp uh, for whatever it's worth is Carlos Hyde. So kind of the similar build, a uh, similar style player to him. So Jordan Howard kind of burst onto the scene most way or partway through uh, 2016. Uh, was not the original starter, but just kind of came with the force. Uh, I believe he led the league or was near the top in yards uh, rushed. Uh, and proved that he has concrete hands. So fast forward 2017, the team drafted Tariq Cohen. Uh, still under horrible, horrible John Fox, and uh, I guess a couple of big takeaways from that is that his snap share significantly decreased in 2017 down to 61.5%, and his opportunity share also decreased down to 60.7%. Targets went down from, I believe, 50 to 32 uh, receptions came down with it, um, including yards per reception, down to 5.4. Uh, all these were lower than 2016. Uh, the one thing that did increase, though, is he got uh, a higher catch rate uh, percentage. He was down in the 50s in 2016, so he did make some improvements, getting to, I believe, like 71.9, which is still under the league average for running backs. Uh, he also improved uh, his number of red zone touches in two, from 2016, uh, ranked with 32 red zone touches, uh, ranked 15th in the league. Um, he ranked 24th in the league with five goal line carries, though, so those kind of disagree with each other as far as he was getting red zone work, but nothing really on the goal line. 
So although his total carry count went down to 277, that was still good for fifth in the league, even though it was lower than 2016. But his touchdown total did go up from 7 to 9. So some increased efficiency as far as uh, conversion success rate for touchdowns. But one of the uh, big numbers that I found uh, that was kind of troubling is although he was number five in carries with 277, uh, he did not have a great efficiency. He actually came in at uh, 0.65 points per opportunity. Uh, That ranked him at 100, which was also down from his 2016 total. So I think some of the big things that people argue for Jordan Howard is the fact that uh, his quarterback play was awful last year uh, between Mike Glennon and a new bio of Trubisky, uh, more like Trubadsky, but he um, he kind of was working against stacked boxes is kind of the fight that people would say, well, that's actually not true. So he only faced a stack front 5.8% of the time, which was lower than in 2016. And I think the, uh, the big troubling thing was his efficiency overall. Uh, he came from 2016, he averaged 5.2 yards per carry and 5.8 yards per touch, and that dipped all the way down to 4.0 yards per carry and 4.1 yards per touch. So a significant drop. Um, And it wasn't just because the stack boxes, uh, he was across the board down uh, 0.6 yards per carry against a stack box, 4 yards per carry against a base defense, and on light boxes only gained 5.4 yards per carry. So uh, those were all significantly down from uh, 2.6 on the stack box, 4.7 on the base, and 6.3 on the light box. So overall, just uh, not an efficient year for him. I think a lot of that has to do with teams kind of figuring him out a little bit and playing him a little better on defense and not quite quite as easy a schedule as he had in 2016. And honestly, a lot of uh, what the team did actually should have set him up for more success. Although their passing yardage was definitely down from 2016 and not as efficient, um, the other pieces around him were actually a little more improved. Uh, Their line ranked 11th last year, whereas in 2016, they were ranked 15th. Uh, team rush totals were better this year um, at 15, where they were ranked 17th. And the team's passing was 14th and 16 and tied for last place this year. And I think uh, th- that was partially because of the new offense uh, pieces at quarterback. Um, but I think also it was just... The fact that overall the run game was working a little better with Tariq Cohen involved, that they didn't need to quite lean on the pass as much. I mean, I remember them winning a game where Trubisky only threw, what, like 10 times? And especially with that improved defense last year, I think uh, it kind of all worked other than the quarterback, the new quarterback, into a better run team uh, that just didn't translate for Jordan Howard. I think a big part of that is um, you had old curmudgeon John, John Fox was still somehow able to recognize what kind of weapon Tariq Cohen was, where Jordan Howard's, 
Howard's uh, snap share or snap count dropped significantly as far as the team share. And I think with Matt Nagy coming in, uh, I think he's going to recognize what Jordan Howard can't do and what Tariq Cohen can do. And I think that you're actually going to see closer to a 55-45 split between the two as opposed to in the 60s for, uh, at, what, 61.5% for Jordan Howard. Uh, not to mention, I really don't have a lot of faith in the pass offense still with Trubisky with Trubisky struggling uh, and having a mixed camp and uh, probably struggling with this offense a little bit. Um, I view them as probably needing to throw more often. Uh, And then on top of it, if you really look at uh, Kansas City's offense and how it's built, I don't think Jordan Howard really uh, fits it. He's been running a zone scheme under John Fox the last two years and honestly he did really well the first year in it but he struggled last year uh, we'll kind of go through and what i came up with the game tape and how i actually don't think he fits a zone scheme run style and um i think that the kansas city west coast uh, hybrid between the fact that they use a lot of uh, read option and uh, a lot of uh, exotic passing with uh, their wide receivers and their running backs. I just I don't view Jordan Howard as a good fit for him. I think he would be better fit with uh, a team that's just a more traditional run game. So for the tape, uh, I I kind of ignored all the uh, the plays where he was in, but just as a blocker or not targeted in the pass game. Because that would have taken me way too long, and honestly, I think we already know what he is in the past game, unless uh, his work with the Jugs machine this summer just completely changes his hands. Uh, I don't think we need to really bother on how he does in pass protection, how he does uh, running routes, even if he's not targeted. Because overall, uh, what when he was targeted was very unimpressive. So... We had a grand total, I believe, of 309 plays that I went through uh, from weeks 1 through 17. Uh, Honestly, there was only, I want to say, four good games as far as that I would classify him as running well. Um, Like I said before, he's a zone scheme runner as far as, like, that's what the offense is set But one of the biggest things that stood out for me in most of the games was I noticed that he um, he's not very good at identifying Mm. the correct running lanes that he should be taking. Um, And when he does, a lot of the times he's a little late to identify and react. So uh, what I noticed was a lot of his runs, he'd, he'd find the right hole, but he would be waiting too long to make the decision to cut. And his cuts are pretty exaggerated. Uh, his jump cuts, he actually does have to take a step. He doesn't really open up his hips well and change direction on the dime. Uh, he did it a few times. I think he has the capability, but he overall is kind of a clunky runner is the best way to describe it. Um, noticeably found a lot of times where... And it was it was kind of it was kind of obvious where there were holes that if he had just picked a different run lane, he would have gotten good chunk yardage. And I think a lot of that attributes to what I noticed is it looked like his run decisions were based on the way the run was drawn up. Um, 
I didn't like the fact that they ran a lot of counters. Uh, way too many counters, in fact. I want to say at least half his runs were counters. And um, one, he's not the most quick burst kind of running back, so to have him take that extra step and then get going is not great for him, I don't think. And uh, what I did notice on some of those runs was if he just bounced back the way he came from, so rather than following the counter to the left or following the counter run to the right, if he just started going and decided to cut back to the right where he came from, he could have opened up a lot of a lot more bigger runs, but he was kind of just pot committed to where he was running already. Um, the thing I did notice, though, is he does, uh, he does run the stretch play very well. Uh, for a guy that's not the quickest, he still gets a decent head of steam moving to the outside. Uh, it's when it's a designed run to the outside, more or less, but the fact is he seems to get the edge more often than not, and I think the team's line is actually just well built for blocking, uh, on the stretch plays, getting their uh, their athletic linemen moving. Uh, I think some of this might be a product, though, that they do run a lot. They did run a lot of 11 personnel and heavy, uh, heavy run lines, where a ton of Jordan Howard's runs only had one or two receivers uh, outside um, or even in the play at all. And I think with the personnel the way they have it now, you're not going to want to take... Allen Robinson off. You're not going to want to take Anthony Miller off. You're not going to want to take Trey Burton off very often. So I think they're going to be running with a lot lighter of a line and a lot lighter blocking schemes. And although the spread West Coast offense is going to open the defenses a little more, he wasn't facing very many stacked boxes as it was, like we discussed. So I don't really see that as a benefit to him. I think what it's going to do is it's going to get, uh, it's going to ask more of him to make someone miss. And what I did notice the big, the big hole besides um, his inability to uh, pick a run lane decisively. I think the uh, the other big thing is he's a very easy tackle for a 230 pound running back. Um, a lot of one arm tackles, a lot of tackles that he should have been able to break through. Um, he just he's not a tough runner for what you would expect and what we kind of envision him as because he's such a plotter runner, and he's this one and two down back. And how could that guy? be anything but that but he, he seems kind of like a large ronald jones he's he's just gonna go down easy uh every once in a while he'll squirt something out and he does use that power but more times than not i saw him get wrapped up one arm and taken down and uh part of that too was he very seldomly util- utilizes his stiff arm uh he doesn't have a particularly strong stiff arm to begin with but the fact is, there's a lot of times where it, it seems like he's probably just so worried about ball security that he's not even thinking of putting an arm out. And if he just keeps some of these defenders off him a little further, he'd be able to get that edge around him, or he'd be able to keep that one arm away from tackling him. So um, physicality-wise, he, he gets a pretty low grade for me. So right there on decision-making and physicality as a runner, he's already pretty negative. Uh, the positive is that stretch play outside run. Uh, his jump cuts the other thing. His his lateral movement is not great. If you see it, he takes a really big step to to make the actual lateral movement, 
and uh, that one slows him down. He doesn't he doesn't regain his burst quick enough. But the other thing is like that's opening him up for easy tackles. Where if he was a little shiftier, uh, a little smaller on his steps, he'd he'd be able to accelerate a little quicker out of his cuts, and he'd be able to move a little more laterally. But I think a lot of it goes back to his slow decision making. He's just not. I don't think he's a very instinctive runner is the, is the way to put it. I think he actually has to think about what he's doing. Um, and there's a, there's a lot to not like on that game. Uh, that being said, when he finally got ahead of the steam towards the second half of the season, I started seeing him running a little harder. Um, he started showing a little more patience and letting his blocks develop uh, rather than just jumping down the hole quick. Um, he, he, he showed a little more burst. I think, I think the nice thing about him is whatever the workload, it doesn't wear him down. I don't think he, uh, I don't think the, the totals tally on his body throughout the season. So I think he looks just as fresh at the end of the season as he does at the beginning of the season. And I think that kind of helped him out. And that's why he had so many good games towards the second half of the season out of what he had. Um... But that being said, it still was kind of unimpressive. I mean, other than the one Vikings game that he blew up, his positive games were against the Bengals. Um, trying to see the ones with the positive notes on them. Um, the Saints, he had a pretty good game against, but they weren't the strongest run defense. They're better, uh, better pass defense. So. Um, and the Browns, which I don't think anyone was impressed with the Browns. So uh, the good no- good notes are he did have a couple good passes. I think he is teachable. Uh, the problem is on his uh, his routes, pretty much up until towards the very end of the season, every one of his targets, he was easily wide open by four or five yards and he really didn't do much with it uh not great in open space pretty much just got what you expected there was one or two plays where he actually increased uh what he what he could have but i think that's probably the best way to describe jordan howard is he's the kind of running back that's going to get what's blocked for him uh it's why he's not great in open space um most of his big runs were gaping wide holes open by the the line and a lot of it wasn't him creating the yards. Um, I know some of the metrics kind of say that he created yards, but as I watched it and I kind of put through um, on the coach's film in slow motion and just seeing how he was moving, it's that like most of the holes he hit were pretty obvious. I think anyone would have done pretty much as well as he did with his opportunities. And um, I mean, out of his 277 carries i counted 49 where i thought he did well on him uh now i'm not saying that he did poorly on these carries uh the other carries i'm saying that i mean a lot of them he did but a lot of them were just whatever um he got what he could uh some of them were no one would have had a chance and um only 49 is what i counted and um with that they weren't all that impressive it was getting an extra five six yards from what i expected uh what he did maybe 
broke one or two real long runs, but the guy has no top end speed. Uh, he gets ran down every time. So if you're expecting anything other than an occasional long 30, 40 yard run, uh, you're going to be surprised because he is not going to get you that 50-yard touchdown. Um, and then as far as uh, the pass-catching work, like I said, he had three good catches out of 32 targets. Um, those drops were pretty much all horrific drops. Uh, I'd say there was one drop where he actually had a defender kind of near him. The other ones were defender was bearing down on him, but maybe three, four yards away. And two of them were easy touchdown passes that could have added to his total, but it's just, it doesn't give me any hope for thinking that he's going to improve much more because he can catch jug, jug machine balls all day long, uh, hundreds and hundreds every day apparently. And it's really good that he's working on it, but the second you get him in that game action and he gets hit once, uh, that fear is just going to screw up his newfound technique uh it's kind of the same way they said they fixed tim tebow and then he kept always reverting back to that like windmill of a throwing motion it's just one of those things that it, when it's bred into you it's bred into you so and then um i thought a really telling game that i went through was the eagles game he ended up with only 10 touches um i think they were down like 20 nothing for the majority of the game or a good chunk of it and I, I think it's the big thing that um, I'll tell you that unless he somehow improves his ability to pass catch, that Tariq Cohen's actually going to get a lot more work because I don't see this offense running entirely too efficiently. So I think they're going to be playing from behind a lot, uh, especially with the fact that you got six games against the Vikings, Packers, and Lions offense, and all the other teams they're playing. Uh, I know their defense is improved, but... That being said, they're not going to they're not going to stop everyone that they got to face, so they are going to be playing from behind. And I would not be surprised if he stayed around the same or if not took a step back in total touches from his uh, from his 277 on carries and his 32 targets. So um I, I think it was really telling. He got pulled out of the game pretty often, and it was just one of those things that I think teams that have figured them out and when they struggle with the new offense, with Trubisky not understanding and not playing well, I think I think that's going to end up uh, hurting Jordan Howard's uh, production this year even more. And dare I say he may end up sub four yards per carry. So overall, my grade for Jordan Howard's a C plus. Um, I think you're pretty much just getting what, or he's getting what he's given, and uh, I don't really see him fitting in Matt Nagy's uh, future plans. It's going to be one of those things that he's just going to do the best with what he's got right now, and I think eventually they're going to move on from him and Cohen. Uh, as far as focal points and go find themselves a quality back that fits the system better uh, a la Kareem Hunt so uh, sorry Axel I think you kind of messed up that one a little bit uh, not the Jordan Howard's not gonna outproduce Cohen I think you improve that and he probably will outproduce uh, Sony Michelle this season but that being said um, the future's not looking too great for him and you can't really expect much considering how much draft capital was invested in him 
Uh, I think he was like, what, a six-round pick or something like that. And he's done more than anyone ever expected. So um, just try to ride it out, but I would be... I'd probably be trying to bolster your running back core up again uh, next draft. So good luck with that. He chose poorly. So that concludes today's episode. Uh, thanks for sticking with me on it. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we're going to try to maybe do one more episode during the preseason, but if not, we'll be uh, coming to you before week one. I'll keep you up to date on Twitter and the group me chat. And uh, as always, remember, Goonies never say die.